Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Here we go, continuing our series, the summer series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's called Different. So let me start this way. Good morning, family. Good morning, Lancaster Campus family. Good morning, Myerstown family. Good morning to all of you watching online. I don't know. Hopefully, if you've been around Mission Church for any length of time, you know this. If you're new to church, perhaps this is a new concept. But the Bible makes it explicitly clear that the church is a family. Amen? Amen. Come on. Today, we're on this, a different kind of family. So uh, turn to your neighbor and say, come on, let's be, let's be current. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, fam? If you're online, text somebody, what's up, fam? Drop it in the comments, what's up, fam? Myerstown, what's up, fam? (laughs) Family, I don't know about you, but the word family is not one that should be thrown around lightly. In the world in which we live, where we see a lot of brokenness, family needs to mean something. Now, all the more, the word family ought to be guarded. It ought to be cherished even more. As we're all aware, families come in all different shapes and sizes, do they not? Small families, husband and wife, large families as they become mom and dad. We have nuclear families, we have extended families, we have two-parent homes, we have single-parent families, we have blended families, foster families, adopted families. No matter what your immediate nuclear family looks like, the point is this, we all have one or we all long for one. Here's a picture of, here's a recent picture of my family. Come on, look at that crew. How many of you have quick access to a family picture? Come on, you used to carry them in your wallet and your purse, right? You're like, what's a wallet? We know what a purse is. That's not gone anywhere, has it? Um, 
if you have access to a picture of a family, why don't you just pull it out, like permission to use your phone in church. Uh, by the way, there's an app, and you can pull up sermon notes on your, on your phone too. But for real, like permission to use your phone in church. Look at these. He's got a whole scroll full of, of pictures. You got, you got a picture of your family? Come on, pull it up. Look at it. Look at it. Shame on you if you got a scroll far. That ought to be just, that ought to be starred and saved, and it ought to be just like the screensaver of your phone if, if, if I have anything to do with it. After today, I'm sure it will be. Come on, now look at your picture. Look at my picture. I love this crew. Much like you, many of you, our family started off very small, Robin and I. After, hear me, seven years of or so of uncertainty, wondering if we could have children, uh, the Lord blessed us with Titus. Then, after a struggle, wondering if we might have any more children, six years or so of uncertainty following that, we had the privilege of adopting the one who looks like he's the oldest, but is only seven in this picture, <laughs> Isaiah. Two years after that, the Lord gave us the privilege to foster Elijah, Come on, look at that smile. That is the best smile on the photo for sure. Having fostered him, the Lord allowed us the privilege now to adopt him. What a beautiful privilege this is. And then the midst of all of this accumulation of love, God decided to give us a bonus. Come on. Joshua, number four, hear him roar, right? Joshua in the Bible, conquered Jericho. This Joshua is willing to conquer anywhere he goes. Come on. You see, this is the Lingenfelter family. This is the Lingenfelter family. It looks different from your family. Does it not? Look down at your phone. Look how different my family looks from yours. But here's the thing that captured me this week is that um, while our families look different, spiritually speaking, God makes it abundantly clear that they're the, we're the same that we come from the same family. You see, my family is not complete, spiritually speaking, until I recognize that we're family. The Bible says this. We, we say it this way around here. We are a family of families. Come on, let's not be alone. We are a family of families. What this means is the Lingenfelter family is part of the Mission family. The Mission family is part of the Lancaster Church family. The Lancaster Church family is part of a regional family. We specifically are part of a GCC, church planting family, which makes us part of a more global family, which means we're also part of an eternal family, which means this, you and I, we are part of a timeless, eternal family of brothers and sisters who lived before us and everyone who will name the name of Jesus after us. We are one big family. Now come on, turn to your neighbor and say, what's up, fam, like you mean it. You see, when the Bible says we're family, you may want to write this down. It means you've been adopted by God, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. You've all been adopted by God when you name the name of Jesus and repent of your sins. You're adopted by God. So now you're called a child of God, John chapter 1, verse 12. You now reside in the household of God, and that's not by brick and mortar. Uh, that's by the presence of spiritual security. 
You've been adopted by God. You're now called a child of God. You reside in the household of God. Making you and I spiritual brother and sister. When I grew up in church, they were saying brother and sister all over the place. I thought it was super weird as a kid, I'll be honest with you. And I'm still a little weirded out now when you call me brother, but I get what you're doing. Brother Jerry. Brother Al. Brother Nate up in Myerstown, right? Brother Jerry, sister. You know what I've learned about siblings being a brother myself? You know what I've learned about siblings being brother and sister, uh, being a dad now of four boys? You know what I've learned? I've learned this. Siblings really do love each other. They really do. They love each other very, very well. They love to annoy each other. They love to tease each other. They love to tell on each other. They love to compete against each other. They love to outdo each other. They love to, frankly, beat the snot out of each other. Now, to be fair, in my household, they really, there really are occasions when it's clear that they love to love each other, but let's all be honest, there are also occasions when it's pretty clear that they don't enjoy it either. Why? You want to know why? You want to know why? Anybody know the theological reason why our kids don't get along? You want to know why? Come on, somebody tell me. Tell me, what are they? Oh, that's so harsh. You called them all sinners. We're sinners, aren't we? You know what happens when you get a house full of sinning siblings trying to do life together? You know what you get? Conflict. You know what you get? A little bit of sibling rivalry. You know what you get? You get a little bit of comparison going on. You know what you get? I want to impress dad. You know what you get? Hey, mom, look, look at what, look at what, look at what, look at, come on, finish it. Look at what so-and-so did. You see, my family is made up of sinners, and your family is made up of sinners. And if we're a family of families, which is made up of sinners, guess what's sitting in this room? A whole lot of sinners. Which means there might be a little sibling rivalry and a little sibling conflict that comes up from time to time. You with me? You see, here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has addressed how we, his family, are to be different. And he's challenged the status quo. He's challenged the religious leaders up to this point. Indeed, he's talking to those. We have the privilege of looking back upon the sermon, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ firmly established. Even Matthew, when he recorded this message, he delivered this, the, the gospel of Matthew to the formed church in the first century that they could hear. But there was, a, there was an immediate audience as well on that mountainside. And Jesus is saying unto that audience, if you were to follow after me, you're going to have to have more righteousness than even the religious leaders. So there's been a section in this sermon where he's been going after the religious leaders. Catch it? Now all of a sudden, plain as day, Jesus has a clear word for those who will be part of his family. Those who will enter the kingdom. Those who are part of God's household. He has some things to say. And he says to those who use the terms brother and those who call his father, father, how their family, how they are going to be different from the other gatherings and smatterings and cultures of people around the world. We're going to be a family that is different. You ready to see how? If you are, say, we're different. 
Matthew chapter 7, take a look at the text. To those who will be amongst the family of God, Jesus continues in his sermon. You could say right now he's coming to a climax and then he's going to make the turn, almost an altar call of sorts, and begin to land the plane. That's where we're at on the Sermon on the Mount. Very important that you have that context. Calling out, calling out, calling out, raising the standard, raising the standard. I got a final word that's going to drop you all to your knees. Here it comes. Judge not, chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. That's why the room is full, huh? This verse. This verse. You heard this verse? Somebody's heard this verse. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. Up until now, he's like, the hypocrites do this, the hypocrites do this, the hypocrites do this. He said, you hypocrite. Yo, tone is changing. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Come on, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Keep reading. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, it will be open. For which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or uh, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then... If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and the the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, if you have been around Bible world or church world, or you've been sitting through sermon series over the course of generations and decades, you're like, Pastor, you basically just read four passages, like four sermons worth of passages. Like, I see like five messages up in there. Yes, we have bag lunches for you this morning. Everything's going to be fine. We're holding these passages together because Jesus is in one continuous flow of thought. And if you break it up, you're going to miss it. Hang with me. Jesus says we're going to be a different kind of family. And to be a different kind of family, he comes right out of the gate with this. We are going to be a family that looks out for one another in grace. We're going to be a family, point one, that looks out for one another in grace. Don't you love how Jesus comes right out of the gate anticipating that his family is going to have conflict this side of heaven? Judge not that you not be judged. He's implying, Jesus is immediately implying this side of heaven, we are going to have conflict, we're going to have to work through some things. 
I didn't have a show of hands before, so how many of you have um, heard this verse before? <laughs> Come on, just raise your hand. You've all heard this verse before? Usually this verse invokes two extremes inside of a person. Number one, they're the people who love this verse. They love this passage, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. Who are you to judge me, right? And then there are those who secretly, secretly amongst the Christians, a lot of Christians secretly wish this verse wasn't in the Bible, right? Both of you live here, by the way. Some of you are the same person on the same day, depending on the conflict at hand. You can't judge me while I'm judging you on Facebook, right? You can't judge me. How dare you judge me as I'm judging you, judge me. You see, those who love the verse, they love the verse because they think it lets them get away with stuff. And the people, these are the, and the mercy-motivated people as well, like, no, you can't be judging each other's stuff. And then you have the prophetic, bent people. They don't really care for this verse because they think it lets people get away with stuff. And here's the point. Both of those extremes need to take a fresh look at this passage because our, our view of it traditionally is a little skewed. Like what? Is Jesus saying just turn a blind eye to sin? We don't notice sin anymore? Check it. Let me be abundantly clear. Jesus is not. He is not. He is not. Say not. That was 1990s-ish, wasn't it? Not. You can teach your kids about that later. (laughs) He is not calling us to turn a blind eye to sin. This entire sermon, Jesus has been pointing out all the sins. All the sins. And he's telling us how we need to be different from all the sins. How in the world are you going to see the How are you going to be different from the sins if you don't see the sins? He's not calling us to turn a blind eye to sin at all, but he is asking us to be different. Remember, chapter, he started the sermon by saying we are blessed differently. We are saved from the sins. We have a different kind of impact. We're supposed to use our difference to impact this sinful world. He's called us to a different kind of standard above the traditional sinning. He's actually raised the standard, recognizing unto us that we judge our own hearts. The issue here is not that we're to not see sin or deal with sin. It's actually the exact opposite. Jesus is saying what happens with, when inside our spiritual family we fail to be different? What happens when I fail and you fail? What happens when, those, when, I, when I fail and those I love don't really resemble what Jesus is calling us to here. What do we do then? How do we handle it then? If God's called us to be salt and light, but, but our soul is beginning to dull and our light is beginning to dim, how are we supposed to handle that? Knowing that we're all sinners, what are we supposed to do? You ever feel that tension? What do we do? When those we love, when we and those we love fall into sin, the Bible is abundantly clear. Write this down. 
James chapter 5, verse 19, we, gen- we graciously pursue those who've fallen into sin. We graciously pursue those who have fallen into sin. We graciously pursue those who've fallen into sin. James chapter 5, verse 19, is Jesus going to contradict the Bible? He is not. Matthew chapter 18 says that we confront those who persist and continue in sin. That's the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. Beautifully, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we are gently to restore one another as we repent. Friends, that is not turning a blind eye to sin. That is not a free hall pass to go do what we want. You see, what Jesus is getting after here is judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And how can you say this to your brother? What is Jesus after here? What he's saying is you can pursue the sinner. You can confront when necessary. And you can restore. And you can do all of that without a judgmental spirit. That's where we're at. We can lovingly pursue and lovingly protect and lovingly look out for one another and go after that which needs to be gone after in grace and we can do it without a condemnatory spirit. Praise God. The word judge, krino in the Greek, means to act as a judge, to put yourself in the seat. Come on, play God. It's a person who would pass judgment The English equivalent here is the word censorious. Don't you love when you define a really clear word with one that's like not clear at all? (laughs) Censorious. It means to be judgmental, harsh, fault-finding, and condemnatory. In view here is the sibling who comes running to mom and dad with that smirk on their face to share what their brother or sister has done. Anybody had that happen this week? That bratty smirk. Oh, that we would wipe the bratty smirks off of the Christian faces and off of our own. That's where Jesus is headed. This is the person who delights in another person's sin and failure. You met this person? You ever been this person? Access to everybody's lives right now, even in a digital sense, has opened the door for this particular principle to be applied more than ever. The polarization within our political landscape, wishing and cheering for others to fail. It's everywhere. And what's interesting here is that Jesus speaks of the danger of being judgmental. Jesus speaks to the danger of having a condemnatory spirit. He says here, look at verse 2, with the judgment that you pass, with the judgment that you pass, you will be judged. And with the measure you use to judge the measure, that same exact measurement will be applied right back to you. And what we have here are two types of danger. There's a horizontal danger, which is like, if you know anything about a boomerang, like what goes around comes back around. 
There's a horizontal, immediate, what you do to others, it's going to be done back to you. You want to be a judger, you're going to get judged. That's number one. But number two, what's abundantly clear here is this. Jesus is saying there's a vertical danger as well. God will hold you. This is, God will hold you to your standard. God will hold you to your standard. Say, what? I thought God had a standard. He does. That's the point. God has a standard. God has a throne. God is the judge, right? He's the one who decides. God's going to hold you to your standard. I thought thought Jesus died and fulfilled God's standard. Correct. Correct. That's why you would not want to replace that one that has been fulfilled through Jesus with, with your own. You see it? Don't judge. Don't condemn. It's the work of the Lord. For in the measure that you judge, you will be judged by the same standard. You'll be like, what in the world is happening? Pastor, is this one of those passages where like we can lose, like, like we have to deal with, can we lose our salvation or not? Like, is Jesus saying like, if you're a judger, I'm gonna judge you. Like, don't pass go. You're not getting into my heaven. Like, can you lose your salvation? Can you, can you, can you? Everybody say no. Praise God is right. But let me say this very, very clearly and slowly. Our willingness and ability to extend grace, our willingness and ability to extend grace does not determine nor merit our salvation, but it does reveal the state of it. Our willingness and ability to extend grace does not determine nor does it merit or earn us salvation, but it does reveal the state of it. You see, a judgmental, you sense the deliberateness in all of this? A judgmental heart is a symptom of a heart still under judgment. Let me say it again. A judgmental heart that is incapable of extending grace. A judgmental heart is evidence, is a symptom of a heart that is still under judgment. And so when we have this judgmental spirit that we're not able to submit to the Lord, it must cause us to examine our hearts and fall to our knees. For how can we withhold grace when God has extended so much grace to us? How can we withhold mercy when we realize that we are clothed in the mercy and the blood and the sacrificial work of Jesus? What not what casting judgment reveals is we have we don't have an accurate view of the judgment we deserved and the judgment we've been freed from. And so what we need to do is go back to the gospel and preach it to ourselves again and realize that 
that a heart that has been forgiven is one that will look out for one another and will long for everyone to repent and receive the same forgiveness you've received yourself. Catch it? And so we do pursue the wanderer with grace. We do confront when they persist in sin. But we do it because our heart is breaking. Because we do it because we want to look out for one another in grace. To be judgmental is a very dangerous thing, Jesus says. And not only that, what I've just, it leads up to this as well. To be judgmental makes you very delusional. That's Jesus' next point. It makes you very delusional. Under point one, not only is judging dangerous, but it is delusional. Look at what he says. Why in the world? Why? Why, why, why? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice a log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, see the family here? How can you say to your brother, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come close. Let me get the speck. Come here, I need to open up your eyelids. Let me get the speck out of your eye. When there's a log dangling out of your own. To have a judgmental spirit, she's like, you're delusional. When he says, how do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? What he's saying is this. Your desire to judge is greater than the sin that you're confronting. Your judgmental spirit. Jesus is not comparing the weights of sin here. Like, I can't confront you because I have a sin of my own and my sin must be worse than your sin. What's the sin in view here? The sin in view here is actually the judgmental, condemnatory spirit. And so what he's saying is, the log is your judgmental spirit. The log is the condemnatory nature in which you carry yourself. And so here's the point. Your sin of judgmentalism is greater than any sin you'll ever seek to confront on this earth. And Christians, that's the one we give one another a pass on every day of the week. How in the world? He goes on to say, are you going to get the speck out your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? What is he saying there? He's saying this. How in the world are you going to help your brother get right with God when you're not right yourself? Boom. But, but Jesus, but but I'm going to church and I'm, and I'm praying and I'm doing my best and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm. See the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And if that makes you feel better about yourself and puts you on a platform to judge others who aren't reaching your standard, Jesus says it's very dangerous, if not delusional. For us to receive the Holy Spirit's empowerment and the righteousness of God enabling us to do what we're incapable of doing, which is to actually live a righteous life and then take credit for it to the extent that we're willing to judge others who aren't there. Verse 5, hypocrites. Jesus, I think, is looking out in the crowds and he sees the look in their eyes and he's like, yes! You hypocrites! What do you need to do? Take the log out of your eye. Jesus' point here, hear me again, is not that we don't confront sin. 
It's not that we don't confront sin if we are struggling with sin. My goodness, friends, sometimes it's the fact that we, the fact that we are fellow strugglers that actually gives us on-ramp and credibility in speaking to someone we care about and being able to work at these things together through the empowerment of the Lord that actually helps. It's not that if you're struggling with purity, you can't talk to your brother about their purity struggle too. That's ridiculous. It's not that if you struggle with gossip, but you got yourself caught right in the middle of somebody else sharing with you gossip, that you have to walk away and not actually say, hey, we ought not be gossiping right now. That's ridiculous. What Jesus is saying is, repent. Repent of your judgmental spirit and receive God's grace so that you can then extend that grace to the person with whom you care about. We're to check our motives and remove the sin of judgment from our heart as we deal with being different. God's called us to a high standard. We get that. But if his grace doesn't prevail in all of this, friends, we will, we will die. And so, what do we do? Notice this. We're invited to get the specks out of one another's eye. We're invited to do that. Get the log out. Then deal with the speck. You see it? We're actually invited to work on the specks in each other's eye so long as we come with a humble, gracious spirit. The expectation here is actually that we would do this regularly. How? With a clear conscience withholding judgment. Remember those verses you wrote down? James chapter 5, verse 19. How do we get the speck out? Graciously pursue the one who is wandering. How do we get the speck out? Gently confront the one who persists and then graciously restore and celebrate the work of the Lord as they repent. Speck removal 101. Gently pursue. Graciously confront when necessary. And then come on. Come here, come here, hugs around, let's go. Confront when necessary. But even when it's firm, it's always done in love, lest we see, lest we be endanger ourselves and see ourselves, present ourselves as delusional. God's family doesn't attack each other. God's family doesn't attack each other. God's family extends grace. God's family doesn't attack each other, and God's family makes sure that other people don't attack God's family either. Keep going. Look at verse 6. So watch, watch, watch. Don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Do not give the dogs what is holy. Yo, how am I supposed to do that without judging? Don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Do not give the dogs what is holy and do not throw pearls before pigs. Jesus. Those are very frank words. 
They sound almost condemnatory. God's family doesn't judge one another, but God's family does not judge one another, but God's family is called to use judgment in protecting the family of God. God's family does not judge one another, but God's family is called to use judgment and to make judgment to protect the family of God. That's Jesus' point here when he says, look, don't give to dogs what is holy. He's, just, just so you know, like he's not making a statement on, on the worthiness of, of domestic pets here at all. You go ahead with your puppy chow. It's all good. This is not puppies, right? This is, this is like packs of dogs that have been in the city. People know exactly what he's talking about. You don't go near these snarling, snipping, growling creatures. Scavengers, they're dangerous. You stay away from them. He's, and he's saying, look, you don't, put what, you don't feed what is holy to the ravages, to the vicious. And you don't certainly take something that is valuable and throw it in the pig slop before the pigs. You don't do that. What's holy? God's word is holy. Who's holy? Jesus is holy. What's precious? God's gospel is precious. The pearl of great price. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying this. I'll say it again. While we're not to judge one another, we're to use our judgment to protect the family of God. Now listen, to not incite those who've demonstrated themselves as aggressive and attacking toward the gospel. Don't incite them. Let them alone. Don't keep bugging them. If they're against the gospel, let them be against the gospel. If they're against your Jesus, let them be against your Jesus. Like, it's fine. It's not fine, but we gotta gotta go. Don't inflame that. Secondly, he's saying, look, don't throw the pearls before the pigs. What is he saying? Do not indulge those who trample, desecrate, and mock the gospel. That guy who keeps making fun of you at work and you just keep coming back at him, let him alone. The guy, oh, you're a Jesus follower? Oh, who are you? He's mocking you? Just let it go. He sees your life. He knows who you are. He's like, come on, don't, don't be throwing the meat before the ravaged dogs who have already demonstrated they want to take you out. And certainly don't keep going back to the one who keeps trampling on the gospel. Lest what? Lest they come back and attack you and attack the family of God. You see, Jesus had a word for this when he sent out his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. Listen to this. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, he says to his disciples, shake the dust from your feet. Move on. When you leave that house or town, truly, he says, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that town. What is he saying? God's the judge. God's the judge. We protect one another. We look out for one another in grace. We don't attack each other. We make sure others don't attack either. We don't judge. We don't judge. We don't judge. And now all of a sudden, now we're supposed to be discerning to judge. And if you really stop, you got this climax now where Jesus has dealt with 
that we're blessed and we're an impact. And he's come at the religious leaders and he's gotten after them time after time after time after time. He's knocked down. He's, he's shown them how their, their prayers aren't authentic and how their giving is disingenuous, right? And how their fasting is all to draw the attention of people. And you kind of get this sense that there's one last group in the crowd that kind of maybe feels like they haven't gotten, they haven't, they've kind of gotten off on, gotten off the hook on this. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, you get these guys. You get after these Pharisees. They've been running us through the mud all these years. Yeah, that's right, Jesus. You tell the Romans too. You tell them. Get after them. And what does Jesus say? He's looking out in that crowd and he says what? Don't judge lest you be judged. And immediately there's not one person left standing in the room. And just like that, there's not one person left on that hillside that ought not be crying, Uncle, mercy, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. First you tell me I gotta be poor in spirit. First you tell me I gotta be mourning. Now, you, now you're telling me I'm, I'm blessed differently. You're telling me I gotta impact the world as salt and light, Jesus. Now, now you're challenging us to live a more righteous standard than even the religious leaders. You're telling me I'm a murderer if I get angry. I'm an adulterer if I have lustful thoughts. My marriage has to be permanent. My, my commitments can never be broken. I gotta, I gotta pray with integrity. I've gotta give intentionally. I gotta fast before you for intimacy and now I'm not allowed to judge anybody and now I've gotta discern who's a dog and who's a pig. I can't do this anymore. Jesus, enough. If you've been reading and studying the Beatitudes and you haven't felt some measure of overwhelmness by now, let this be it. If you walk out of here saying, yes, all those judges got theirs today, it's you. It's me. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I think that is exactly Jesus' point in why the passage goes on. And he says this, I know you can't, but listen, ask and you'll receive. I know you can't, seek and you will find. Knock and the door of God's presence and empowerment will be given unto you. The sermon has come to the pinnacle where it's like, what am I going to do? Ask. Seek. Find. He's like, you got to look up to your father right now. Point two is you got to look up to your father for his goodness and for his mercy because we're all sinners and we've all failed and we're all, we're all, we're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's almost as if Jesus looks out at the defeated crowd and he says, I know, I know, I know, I know. But listen, everyone who asks will receive. That weight that you're feeling is good, so ask. 
That tear that you are shedding, let it be seeking, you'll find. Your heart that is pounding right now, let that be the knock upon the gracious door of a forgiving God and know that he is ready and willing to turn the knob and let you into his presence. That's Jesus' point. You have a heavenly father who loves you even in your condemnatory, wretched, hypocritical state. He wants to be your father and forgive you and save you now. Now. You should feel overwhelmed. I should feel overwhelmed, and I should seek, and I should knock. Oh, friends, that we would find. Call upon the name of the Lord that you may be saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit who know they can't, for there shall be the kingdom of God. Verse 9. For which one of us, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? We're family. For which one of us, if our child asks for a fish, would we give them a serpent? You think God has given you this spirit of conviction so he can come to him and slap you in the face? No, that's the point here. You think God is working on your heart right now so you can be judged one more time? No, that's the point here. You think God has arisen this in your spirit right now that you would come to him and he's going to hand you a serpent? He's going to hand you... He knows what you need. Verse 11, if then you who are evil, you who are still sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And in this context, friends, what's the greatest gift? It's it's Christ. He's standing before them as the gift of heaven. He's standing before them as the bread of life. He's standing before them as the fish of sustenance. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, Jesus goes on to say, verse 12, listen, listen, listen. You're going to receive, but listen, let me sum up everything I've said to this point. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do unto them. This is the whole law and the prophets. All that I've been preaching up to this, have I got your attention? Just do unto others what you would have them do unto you, for this is the entire Old Testament here. We know Jesus is going to be asked, what is the greatest commandment? And we know he's going to say this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're a family. You want entrance into the kingdom of heaven? You want adoption into the family of God? got to look beyond ourselves to the gospel of God's grace. We've got to look beyond ourselves to the gospel of God's grace. That's verse 13. This is one continuous flow of thought. We're all judges and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have nowhere else to go and we have to seek, knock, ask, and find. We got to remember this. This is the standard that God has called us to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But come on first, what? Enter by the narrow gate. Why? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to the destruction. 
And for those who enter by it, they are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And Jesus says right up front, those who find it are few. The gate is narrow. But the gate we've all been walking is very wide. The gate that we're all walking is very easy. I saw a meme this past week. I'm sure you've seen many of them as well, but it's, it said this. When the entire flock is running toward a cliff, the one who's running the other way looks crazy. The way is wide that leads to destruction. The way is easy that runs with the masses. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says the, there is a narrow way. There is a narrow gate. And he says, come on, you want in? Ask. You want entrance? Seek. You want entrance? Knock. Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the gate, he says. I am the way, he says. This is your entrance. I am your entrance. For in John chapter 10, he's going to say this, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the gate of the sheep. All who enter before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them because I am the door, because I am the gate. I am the narrow way. Not the list of do's and don'ts. I am the way. We'll take care of the righteous living, but you got to come through the gate. You got to come through the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come, Jesus says, that you can have life and that you would have life abundantly. Life to the full. And so, Father, we come to you. Heads bowed, hearts low. Recognizing, Lord God, that the yoke of the truth that you have for us today is greater than any one of us can bear. Father, we're sinners by nature, we're judges. We're comparers. We've been guilty of lifting ourselves up by putting others down. God, we've been blind and forgetful and sometimes ignorant toward the weight of offense that we carry ourselves to the judgment that we're deserving of. Father, in our actions, we many times have trampled on your grace. We've abused your mercy. We've said things we ought not. We've thought things that we'd best not. 
We've hurt one another in ways that just are not becoming of your family. Lord God, in this moment, would you bring those to our minds? Would you help us confess those, Lord God? Would you help us repent unto you? Friend, right where you are, would you do business with the Lord? Would you ask him to forgive you and to cleanse your heart from a judgmental spirit, to free you from that? Would you ask? Would you seek? Would you knock? Would you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Even to the dogs and the pigs, as Jesus said, you still would do unto them as you would have them, as you would wish they did unto you. you thank the Lord for entry through the gate? Friend, if you're here today and you're not certain if you've entered through the narrow gate, if you're not certain that you're a child of God, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, if you're not sure if you're part of the family of God, God's word says this, listen, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're amongst fellow sinners in this room. But the good news is God showed his love to you by sending Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for you. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. It is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and rose from the dead, that you too can be saved. And so right where you are, friend, this is your passage. This is your way. This is your entrance into the family of God that you would believe and confess Confess your sins. Believe that Jesus died for them. Ask the Lord to forgive you that you might become his child. And the Bible says you'll become a new creation. This is not a repeat after me. This is not a special word that you say. It is, it is the posture of your heart towards God right now. So you cry out to him. Father, we thank you for this morning. We praise you that your grace can lavish and can wash over us all while we're here. God, do your work in this place. We pray in your son's one and only name, Jesus the Christ.